You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 32. Would you stand with me one final time this morning as we dive into the text today? We are in this series, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's specifically revealing to us the nature and the values of the king and his kingdom. And so um, we are on this section today, and so um, I want to invite you to just pray and ask God to speak to all of our hearts. How many of you know this is a tough text today? Yes, your pastor is not exactly excited to be pre- No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but this is, this is definitely a, a text that we need to wrap our mind around and we need to understand what God's word is saying and how it's challenging every single one of us in the room today. And um, I believe that what we're gonna see come out of this is actually something of immense beauty. If you will allow the word of God and the gospel to speak to you today, I think you're gonna walk away from this room My prayer is with a more beautiful understanding of God's love, his unfailing faithful love towards you. How many of you know we need that? I know I need that. I need to be reminded. And so join me in prayer this morning. Lord, we come before you. And Jesus, we invite you to speak to us through your word, your word that's living, it's true, it's powerful, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, we ask that your presence would just fill this room today, that, God, you would speak to every single one of us at our heart. Holy Spirit, would you move in might and power and authority through your word. God, as we dive into this text, we pray that the heart of God would be revealed towards us and that you would challenge us to the type of people, the type of disciples you are calling us to be. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to start this morning, um, and I want to talk about the hard part. I want to talk about the hard part. Um, the hard part of being a pastor is that there is a call and responsibility for me to speak truth, and then there's also a second responsibility to love and shepherd well. And when we get to hard truths in Scripture, sometimes pastors can slip into a few errors. Number one, they can be too harsh, hard, or even uncaring with the subject, or two, They can be popular. They want to reject the first call and try to be popular with those that they're called to love and serve. And so they try to navigate around a topic that Jesus lands on. Neither of those are good answers. Neither of those is what a a true pastor is intended to do. The only true response is to speak the truth in love. And so I realized today, the message, as you can even hear from the topic, it's going to affect all of us on an emotional level. Because Jesus flat out says, hey, if your eye has caused you to lust, you have essentially committed adultery. My guess is that means that most of us in this room in the eyes of God have done that very thing. So Jesus is cutting right to the core, to the heart of every single one of us in this room today. And the other thing I realize is this, is in regards to whether it be lust, whether it be divorce, whether it be any of these things, many of us in this room these things are more than just mere concepts. It is deeply real. There is true pain and true lasting scars from things we faced. And it's for this reason that Christ addresses the topic. I want you to think of a, a, a statement I made about two weeks ago. All the commands of God are for your joy. Think about that for a minute. All of the commands of God are for your joy joy. It's out of his great love that he speaks, that he warns against, and it's out of his great love that he also rescues, redeems, and restores. 
He heals. He takes what was wounded and he brings it back. And so what I want you to hear today from the very forefront is this. Number one, Jesus radically loves you and he's fighting for you, not against you. Number two, I love you. And because of that, I have to preach what the truth of God reveals. And number three, in moments of this message that might feel painful, please stay with me because I believe that in the end, you're gonna see immense gospel beauty pour forth, okay? So I, I, I am aware that preaching to this context that there is gonna be real pain that can process and even happen in this moment and even maybe things from your own past that like start to bubble to the surface. I wanna pause here for just a moment and say this, listen to me. The voice of God to your life will bring conviction, not condemnation. Do not allow the enemy at any point today to bring condemnation over your life. If you start to hear him going, oh, you can't because, or blah, blah, listen to me, that is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of your Father in heaven who loves you and who is for you. So hang on to that. Stick with me because there's going to be immense beauty that comes out of this. Now, with that said, everyone say, I love my pastor. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's dive into this. All right. We need to get to the cultural backdrop of what's taking place in these verses, especially in regards to divorce. Matthew chapter 19. So this is many chapters ahead. This is what we find. So, so some Pharisees came and notice something. They're, they're, I want you to look at their intent. They're trying to trap Jesus. First of all, can we just admit that's not a wise move? <laughs> like, I'm going to trap the king of the universe who can speak stars into existence. Not good on your part. But they come to him with this motive. He said, this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus responded, they said, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made the male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. There's a couple of really interesting things that's taking place there. God is pointing all the way back to Adam and Eve and into the garden, and he's saying that this is what marriage itself was created by God with a purpose. And marriage is meant to reveal something more than just our happiness or the fact we like that person. It's important for us to know. They respond, well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked, and Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. What we're being brought into here and what we need to understand is there was a controversy that was happening right there in that moment in Jesus's day, okay? And this is revealed to us through the Jewish historian Josephus. And there's two separate leading thoughts of what was taking place in this moment. And it was from two different camps of uh, Jewish teaching. One was from, um, I have no idea how to pronounce this, so I'm just going to do my best. It's Shammai, <laughs> S-H-A-M-M-A-I. And his teaching to his disciples was that the only grounds for divorce was a grave offense. Okay? The second was of Hillel. Okay, and Hillel was the leading thought of that time. In fact, this is what Josephus tells us, that this was the common attitude of Jesus' time. Notice what it says. He says, Hillel arguing that the ground for divorce was something unseemly, okay, and it was interpreted, that word unseemly, in the widest possible way, and it could include a wife's most trivial offenses. If she proved to be an incompetent cook and burnt her husband's food, or if he lost interest in her because of her plain looks and because he became enamored of some other beautiful woman, these things in their time were seen as unseemly and would be justifying him for divorcing her. The Pharisee seems to have been attracted to the Rabbi Hillel's lexity, which would explain why they're questioned. So they basically come to Jesus and they're like, hey, this controversy is happening. Where do you land? And they're like, well, we land here. I want you to think about how crazy that is for a moment. <laughs> right? Your wife has a long, your wife has a long bad day. The kids are, how many of you have ever walked home and like the kids were just off the train? Happens to me all the time, right? When, when Calvin's at home, anything can happen. I always say, there, there's two stories I will always believe. If you start a story with me saying, while I was at Walmart 
anything you say after that, I believe. Because <laughs> anything can happen there, right? Uh, that's what I'm saying. The same is true. When I come home, uh, there's been times like I walk through the door and my wife, she's got that look, and I'm just like, kids, get in the car. We're going to give mommy some time, you know, right? Uh, but if that were to happen, right, and then you come home and essentially your wife has burnt your food, the leading thought of their time was that was grounds for divorce. How many of you know that that's a problem? That's a huge problem. <laughs> and this is what Jesus is being brought into. This is the controversy of his day. And, and Jesus does something here, but he's been doing it throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you have heard it said before. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he is reframing the issues. Twice in this section, Jesus is going to say, you have heard it said He's going to talk about the command of adultery, but he's also going to talk about the command of divorce. And he's saying, you've heard it said, but I want to reveal to you something, not just the action of the law, which the Pharisees were so consumed with. The Pharisees were consumed with the action of the law, so much so that they would take laws to the ultimate extreme. Like when it says you cannot work on the Sabbath. I don't know if you know this or not. They had determined how many steps you could take in a day. And then one step more than that was now considered work on the Sabbath. You ever heard the statement, home is where you lay your hat, okay? It traces back to what they would do is they would realize how far the synagogue was for your house. So if your house was too far to make it to the synagogue because it would be considered work, you would go out and you'd take a stake and you'd plant it in the ground and you'd hammer in it and you'd stick your hat on it and your hat was now your home. So you could start counting your steps from where the hat was. See how they bent the law to get around it? What they're doing is they've taken something to the extreme in what they're trying to do. And so Jesus is saying, okay, listen, you've heard this stuff said your whole life because other people have been waxing eloquently on it. Let me take you back to the heart of it, not just the action of it, but the heart that lies behind it. And that's what we need. So Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I need to reveal not just the action but the purpose behind it. Jesus is not just after law-abiding but heart purifying. Jesus would not be, uh, I love this, this is, I believe it was the commentator John Stott who said, Jesus would not be okay with a culture that had zero murder or zero rape if it still rested in the heart of its people. Jesus is not just after our wrong actions, but our heart purification. And so what we find is this, is that <clears throat> in this time, the Pharisees, they're getting around the intent of the law by bending the lines or seeing how close to the line they can get. <laughs> can I tell you something? That's a lot of our culture today. Rather than obeying or understanding the intent of the, of the command or the heart of God, how many of you know that too often we're like, all right, Jesus, where's the line? Because I need to know how close I can get. <laughs> I did youth ministry for 14 years. Let me tell you what. Students are masters of like, let's dance on the line. <laughs> right? It's like, let's get right up to it. And then let's see if uh, and the problem with that is, uh, how many of you know, we are not good tightrope rocker, rockers. <laughs> not only that, but that's, that's breaking the whole purpose behind the command. Imagine if your husband or wife were like that with you. Where's the line that I move from being incredibly annoying to just, <laughs> let me get as close to it as I can. <laughs> Some of you are like, don't go any further, Pastor. <laughs> right. <laughs> we do, but that's my point, is the fact that Jesus is not just after law-abiding, he's after purifying our heart. And if all the commands of God are for our joy, then we understand that they're placed there for a reason. And that reason is for us to have life and life to the fullest. The Pharisees had taken to they go with the divorce. They had said, okay, well, I'm not breaking God's law because I have found something unseemly in my wife, burnt food. <laughs> Therefore, I'm justified. Or I'm not breaking God's law. I haven't committed adultery because I have not physically cheated, though maybe I have fantasized and toyed with the idea in my mind over and over and over again. 
The law in their mind was not being broken because in their mind an action had not happened. And Jesus is saying, yes, yes it is. Because where your heart is, that's what the law's really about. So with that said, we're gonna take a little bit of a time to understand this. I want us to uncover the greater battle. Uncovering the greater battle. Since I was a kid, as long as I can remember, I have been fascinated with magicians. I love watching it. I love having my mind blown and going, how did they do that? <laughs> How many of you have ever seen like a really, really good one and like you're sitting there for like the next hour going, how did they do that? <laughs> I, I, I've seen some crazy stuff. I've got a really good friend who um, he does this and he's an exceptional at it. I've watched him like take a card, rip it in half, eat that piece and then like the piece is later found in a different spot and it connects perfectly to the card and my mind is just right? But one of my favorite things that he does, and he does this a lot of times whenever he's performing it in front of a large group, he wants them to show like the importance of distraction, but also placement. So he, he brings a person on stage and he has them sit down in a chair and he has them hold a roll of toilet paper, right? And so he, he rolls up the toilet paper into a ball in his hand and then basically he makes it disappear. But the great part of this whole trick is it's mind blowing to the person who's in the chair, but the audience is dying laughing. And the reason for that is, I want you to imagine like someone sitting right here where the podium is. As he does it, he's got them distracted with his one hand and he literally just launches the toilet paper over their head and everyone in the audience sees it. And every time he does it to them, he keeps making that ball get bigger and bigger till finally he's got a toilet paper ball that's like this big. And he throws it over their head and their mind is blown. They have no clue how it happened and the audience is dying laughing. Why does, why does that work? Because of distraction. We get so focused many times on what's happening in the magician's right hand, we don't see what's going on in his left hand. One of the greatest weapons of your enemy for your life is distraction. He wants you to focus on and think about something that in your mind at the time is, is important See, distraction's purpose is to get you thinking on, focus on what is not real and to avoid about what's really happening or what is most important that is happening. We're great at focusing on actions. But the heart is where the battle takes place. Listen to what Galatians chapter five says. This is the apostle Paul writing. He says, so I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Notice something really quickly here. There's two forces that are taking place, he is saying. He is writing to Christians. He's saying, you need to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And if you will do that, then you won't end up doing what your sinful nature craves. So he's saying something to you, and I, and I hope that you catch this. <laughs> he's saying, you have a sinful nature, and it has cravings. Ever, anyone in this room ever been driven by cravings? You know what I'm talking about? It can happen out of nowhere. You, you get like the biggest hankering for Pringles and you're like, I have to go to the store. <laughs> I need Pringles right now. <laughs> I remember like there's a couple times when my wife was pregnant. Her, with Jason, it was Big Macs. We could not drive by a McDonald's without pulling in for Big Mac because she was like, Joshua, <laughs> it is Big Mac time. <laughs> That's what the craving was. It was if you'll be guided by the Holy Spirit, you will not be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. If we could go to the next slide. And then it says this. Notice he continues the thought. He says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are under no obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Paul goes, listen, if you choose to follow what your flesh wants, I want you to see the fruit of it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, 
envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, that's a very good spot for us to transition. The Holy Spirit, it produces something else. It produces this kind of fruit in your life. Paul's saying if you will be driven by the Holy Spirit instead, your life will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Paul is bringing us into this battle where it really takes place. At the core inner level, he is saying there is a war over what will guide your life and there's decisions you have to choose what you're gonna follow. At the heart level, there are two aspects, there's two things that want to guide you. There is the Holy Spirit who will guide you into life or there is your sinful nature of your flesh which wants to take your hand and walk you to the edge of the cliff and push. I've said this many times. One of the number one things that I hate about social media is watching people's lives self-destruct. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've watched friends, family members, people you've loved, you've watched that slow fade where in their mind, I'm pursuing life. In their mind, I'm pursuing pleasure. In their mind, I'm pursuing what I most want. I'm pursuing what's at my heart level. How many of you know the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things beyond compare, <laughs> right? And you've watched them walk head on straight into danger and to destruction. Your life will be determined by what you choose to follow at the heart level the Holy Spirit, or your flesh. The actions and outcomes of our lives, they are directly related to the very inner reality. But this is the reality that we often don't think about and we often don't talk about enough. It's where the greater battle must be fought. Because I wanna tell you this, listen, what happens in the unseen directs the seen. The spiritual will always impact the physical. What happens in the unseen will direct the seen. The spiritual will always impact the physical. Why always impacts what? Your heart, your motive, what's really going on there is going to direct and dictate the outcome of your life. What's present in your life at the heart level? What have you allowed in? What have we allowed to consume our time, our attention, our thoughts, our desires, and even our fantasies with? But also, what has happened to us? Sometimes our brokenness isn't something that even maybe necessarily we've chosen or a path that we walked down, but it's what someone else has done to us, and we now have rationalized, well, that's who I am now. I might as well just go with it. Or what are we placing there? What are we dwelling on? What are we meditating on with intentionality? What are we allowing to become part of our life? Listen to me. The present is directed by the unseen. The greater reality of our lives is the hidden, not the visible. How many of you have ever met that person that like on the outside, by all appearances, it looks like they have it all together? <laughs> and then you get one-on-one -on -one with them and you realize just how absolutely that's not. We're great at wearing masks. We're great at putting on action that is intended to say one thing. We, we can show up to church, we can lift our hands, we can sing all the songs, say the right things, and walk out of here and in private be a completely different person. The outcome of our life is not directed by the appearance, but by the reality, and the reality is what's happening at the heart level. It's your inner reality. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He's looking at the Pharisees. He's like, you're so caught up with the line that you're missing the heart. You're so caught up with the action that you don't even realize what's happening under the surface, what's going on there. The present is directed by the unseen, the greater reality of our lives. Listen to me. The greatest aspect of you is not what pastor and what anybody else in this room sees. It's who you are at the heart level.
And if you want to change the present, if you want to truly change your actions, your reactions, your attitude, if you want to alter the culture and climate and atmosphere of your life, it's not going to come by you chopping at branches. It's by going after the root. I'm not a gardener, so I'm going to do my best with this illustration, though I know nothing on the topic. (laughs) All I know is that there's weeds in my yard that I hate. And I can walk up to them every single day, and I can clip them at the top, and you know what's going to happen? They go right back. You can every single day of your life just go, Focus on the action, focus on the action, focus on the action, focus on the action. And I promise you, root, root, root will grow up and it will replace it with a newer and deadlier and darker version of what was there before because you didn't go for the root. The root takes place in the inner reality. It is the hidden, not the visible, that first must be changed. Our focus is stop the action. God's focus is we have to root out the heart. This is going to sound weird coming from a pastor, but do you realize that your war in sin has little to do with action? Action is actually the very long end of a sequence. It is the visible outcome of a heart reality. The outcome is whenever you finally have decided that action to go, well, I'm going to go through with it, but what has happened in the fantasy world and what has happened in the mind and what has happened in the heart for weeks, if not months, if not years before then, it created that outcome. The reality is, is that we need to go to the very root core. The direction I want you to see that Jesus' sermon is taking You know, today we're looking at lust and divorce, but I want you to notice he's talking about anger, adultery, keeping our word, revenge, loving our enemies, giving, praying, fasting, possessions, and worry, judging others. And if every single one of them, what we're going to see is he's not attacking the action Jesus is going to the heart. He's going to go, oh, cool, you want to give at church, as you should, but how are you doing it? What's your motive? Oh, you want to pray, that's great, you should, but how are you doing it? What's your motive? Oh, you want to fast like the Pharisees. You want to walk around just looking all doom and gloom. I haven't ate in seven days. <laughs> right? You, you want other people's sympathy and to go, oh my, he's so spiritual. And Jesus is like, cool. Then you're getting the only reward from them because you're doing it for them, not for God. Jesus is not in this, listen to me, he's going to the root in this whole sermon. That's the point. He's saying, you've heard it said, let me reveal to you the heart behind it. So we need to deal with the inner reality. And Jesus gets pretty blunt. Listen to what he says in verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. How many of you know that's a pretty strong sentence? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let's be clear, though. Jesus is not talking about mutilation. (laughs) Jesus is like, if he really was, then everyone in this church would be coming in with no eyes (laughs) and no hands. And we would look very interesting to the outside world. (laughs) He's using a form of speech that's intended to convey importance and seriousness. What Jesus is saying to his listeners is, it's a big deal treated as such. If your eye, even your good eye, gouged out. Jesus is showing us something. He's saying there's a connection between the eyes and the heart. Between our sight, our fantasy, and our imagination. He's saying to us, deal with the root, not the branch. I want you to think with this with me. Jesus' command to cut it off. Jesus' command to cut it off. This is the type of language actually occurs twice in the Gospel of Matthew. The first is here in Matthew chapter 5, and it's in regards to sexual sin. But I want you to notice something. It's going to happen again here in Matthew chapter 18, but it's going to be in regards to all sin, not just sexual. Watch. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot 
than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Both are in references to temptation to sin. Jesus is attacking and calling us to deal with our propensity to allow ourselves to be put in places of temptation. There is a seriousness here that Jesus is conveying in regards to sin. And what he is challenging us, I want you to think about this. He's saying, I want you to live as if having the inability. Right? If my hand causes me to sin, he's saying, chop it off. Why? Because if my hand's there and it's the thing that's causing me to sin, I no longer have the ability to do that. Jesus is saying to us essentially, listen, I want you to live your life in such a way that you are creating in yourself and in your life, you're going to the root and you're living as if you have the inability. If you are drawn to sin because of your eyes, live and act in such a way as if when introduced to sin or temptation, you act as if your eyes have been cut out. Look the other way. Go the other way. Refusal of the second look. Not allowing yourself to gaze or gawk or to look and start fostering fantasy in your heart. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, think about this with me. The hand represents the things that you do or that you long to do, but the foot represents your desire and action to go to places that cause you to stir your longing for sin. Jesus is saying, not just stopping the action, but stopping also the desire to head to where the action can take place. Cut them off. It means stopping the ability to ever do it again. In other words, behave towards your temptation and your propensity towards sin as if you physically cannot. Don't allow your hands to engage in sin and don't allow your feet to take you to places where it can go. There's a natural aspect here of the nature of confession and repentance. There needs to be an awareness. Here's my question for you. Listen to me. And today we're going to just put the topic we're on to the side because it actually applies to every single one of us. Do you know you're bent towards sin? Do you? I hope so. Every single person in this room, you have a bend towards a particular sin. And there's other sins that don't even remotely are attracted to you at all. None at all. I always use the example of this. Um, you, you could sit me down in front of a television and you could play in front of me 17 hours of the greatest commercials ever made. I mean, we're talking, you get Steven Spielberg and whoever to come in and make a commercial about a salad. Can I tell you something? After 17 hours, there ain't no temptation in this dude. None. You can have dressing dripping with the perfect lighting, right? You can have the uh, whatever. You know, everyone's always like, well, if you had tried my salad, Pastor? No, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't like it. <laughs> I don't, uh, there's no temptation there, but you play me a commercial from the 1960s about a steak. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> right? Because suddenly you're hitting my bend. Listen to me, every person in this room, you have a bend towards sin. And what Christ is calling you to and what he's challenging us with is this. You need to be aware of that and you need to deal with that. True confession does not hide the fact that you have a bend. It brings it to the surface to God and to trusted others who will help you fight the battle. You need to understand there's a reality that temptation is there that there's causes and triggers that's gonna make that stir, that there's places and times and locations and attitudes. I say this, I've said this many times, you need to stay away from balt and salt. Balt, bored, alone, lonely, or tired. Salt, sad, alone, lonely, or tired. Do you realize how heavy temptation hits in those moments? It hits in those moments whenever, like, it doesn't matter you're bent towards sins, whether it's sexual in nature, whether or not it's, like, gorging on food, whether it's spending money you don't have. If you are alone and lonely and you're tired and you just want that sense of, I just want happiness, I just want release, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go pound a tub of ice cream. You're going to go to the store and spend money you don't have. You're going to start engaging and looking at things on the Internet you have no business looking at. We need to understand that. 
I, I love this. We need to understand the nature that sin has like created in us pathways in regards to the things that we've been around. I was reading a book called Atomic Habits and they gave this incredible story. This lady had quit smoking for 40 years. She hadn't picked up a cigarette in 40 years, but her favorite time to smoke beforehand was always whenever she was riding horseback. Something about the crisp of that morning, like smoking a cigarette, that was like her thing. And so after 40 years, she went back to her hometown and someone invited her to go horseback riding. She said the second she sat down on the saddle, guess what happened? An urge she hadn't had in decades came back because the time, the place, and the triggers were all there. Are you aware the enemy likes to orchestrate your life to move you towards triggers? Listen to me. He is a phenomenal enemy. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he loves to try to create situations where maybe you're bored, alone, lonely, or tired where then suddenly you find yourself in situations or things come across your path that trigger the very thing that you're bent towards sin. It is not a coincidence. It's also the reason it's not a coincidence. Every single time you go to prayer, suddenly everything in your mind starts going, there's dishes to do, there's chores to do. I have that report that needs done. That thing for business. Oh, that thing that's due tomorrow. You didn't even think about them five seconds ago. But as soon as you go to the Father in prayer, it's like, bam, 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 bam. Because the flesh is opposed to the Spirit. And the Spirit is opposed. We need to live as if we don't have the ability. What does it look like to cut off? It's, realizing, it's the realization of our sinful nature. We need to be poor in spirit. Remember that? We need to go, God, I have, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need you. Two, we need to confess and repent. We need to know our propensity to turn to it. And so we mourn our sins and God, I'm aware of how broken I am. Will you forgive me and will you allow me to run after you? Turn to God for help and assistance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they'll be filled. We usher in the Holy Spirit's help. God, at my heart level, will you bring to death the sinful nature daily in my heart and lives? Jesus talks here about maiming in regards to elimination. The more seriousness you are with your, if you're a note taker, write this down. The more serious you are with your surrender, the quicker your victory will be. The more serious you are with your surrender, the quicker your victory will be. See, the problem is we have a wrong focus. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were looking with a wrong focus. They were saying, well, it's not, it's not adultery if I don't act on it. I'm pure then. God's happy with me. Or I'm not at fault if I get a divorce, what, whatever grounds I want, because she burned it. So therefore, <laughs> the turkey was burnt for Thanksgiving. So, But listen, on both of those, this focus was on selfishness. I want to keep my sin, I want to keep my lust, but I want to feel proud in my spiritual standing. The desire was not obedience through heart surrender, but rather acting towards outward appearances. And Jesus, like laser-like focus, he steers our thoughts back. There, there's some hard commands here in regards to lust and divorce, but I want you to think about something with me. Do we not have the harshest commands for the things we value most? A, a super harsh command in the Johnson household is look both ways before you cross the road. That is not one we take lightly. I live on a road where people drive like idiots down it. Like the one car is doing 30, the next car is doing 110. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? you know? <laughs> like, happens all the time. We take that command seriously. And the reason for the seriousness of that command and the sternness in my voice is because of my heart for my children. Listen to me, some of you today, again, this is where I wanted to say, make sure that you don't allow condemnation to go. If you've ever been through adultery and divorce, you've felt the wounds in this room and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't want that for your life. That was pain that he didn't want. But the beauty is this, that the gospel also steps in and he redeems and he restores. 
He comes alongside us and says, my child, come, just like he does with every sin, and says, come to me, and allow me to pick up the pain and the pieces. I want want us you to see real carefully the shift here. I want us to look at the message of marriage. The message of marriage. In the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. At the consummation of all things, we'll take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. The word that Jesus uses in regards to him leaving, he says, I I will go away and prepare a place for you and come back essentially to retrieve you. Do you know the language he's using is that of a bridegroom who would go home to his father's house, who would prepare a place to bring his wife home to. It is all the language of marriage. God elevates the covenant of marriage for it is meant to be a message to us. And I hope today you will gaze into it and see the beauty of Jesus and his love towards you. The beauty, first and foremost, of sacred intimacy. My eyes, my heart, my desire, my longing should be for my wife and for her alone. That's what we want out of our spouse, right? I want them to long. In fact, the Hebrew word that is used for sexual intimacy in the Old Testament is yada. Here's something really interesting about that. Yada means to know. That's why I can get a little confusing when you're translating parts of the Old Testament because I can walk up and I know Devin and I could shake his hand and it says they greeted each other and I yadad Devin. But the same exact word can be used in regards to the relationship intimacy, Abraham and his wife Yada, and forth from that became Isaac. See, what's happening here is that there is a biblical understanding of a beauty of the intimacy that God longs for each and every one of us. That is revealed through the message of marriage, that God longs to be with his people, to know and be known. Secondly, it's the glory of faithful love. I don't know if you know this. I hope you do. I have given God every reason to give up on me, as have you. My list's long. I don't know about yours. But his faithful, unfailing love has pursued me. See, one of the reasons that the command we see in regards to marriage is placed there is because, I'll just be honest with you, there's been moments that me and my wife, we've been through some things. There's been wounds that we have done to each other. But out of the faithful love that has come from that, I have a new understanding, not just of my wife, but of myself. I have a new understanding sometimes of even the grace of God and the mercy of God because it was revealed to me in that context. It's the beauty of sacred intimacy, the beauty of faithful love, the revelation of grace, kindness, forgiveness, and mercy. How many of you know if you're in a marriage, (laughs) you need lots of grace, kindness, forgiveness, and mercy? And it's a temporary revelation of the gospel to the world. I so desperately want my marriage to mean something. I wanted to say something. I hope you do too. I want when people to look in, they go, Man, he ain't perfect, because <laughs> I'm not. But I want them to see the beauty of God's love in the context of my marriage that points them. Listen to me, this is why Jesus lands where he did. But what I want you to see is that this is one of the beauties of this is the fact that Jesus is saying to you and to me, are you aware I've pursued you with that faithful love? Come on. Are you aware that Jesus has pursued you with that faithful love? I have given him every reason to take and go, you know what? Josh is at 10,001 sins now. It's time to just cut, cut loose. <laughs> like, I don't know about this kid anymore. Like, <laughs> he could have. I reached that long ago, but his faithful love continued to pursue me and chase after me. It's a revelation of the gospel. The reason that we hold marriage so sacred is because we are loved by God like this. I pray, may you see, may you hear, may you know the gospel today. He has pursued your heart. 
He has and will continue to display faithful love towards you. He longs to draw you close into sacred intimacy where you encounter experience and you can rest in his grace, kindness, and love and in turn be changed. It's because this love is so beautiful, we are so serious with how we handle our sin. So here's what I want us to do. Would you just stand with me this morning? I want to get deadly serious this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that your presence rest in this room right now. Lord, every one of your commands is for our joy and because of your love. There's not a single arbitrary one where you're just trying to get revenge or even or to spoil our fun. You are a good father. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you fill this room in this moment? God, I pray right now that you would challenge our hearts. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm not gonna ask anyone to raise a hand or anything like that. Here's what I just want you to do. Here's my question for you today. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to chop off? Where is the propensity of your flesh longing to grab hold of your hand and walk you to destruction? Maybe today it's sexual sin. Maybe today you are allowing your eyes to wander. You're allowing your heart to go to places that it never should. Maybe you've got that desire inside you and today God is challenging you. The Holy Spirit's in this place and he's saying, son, daughter, I love you enough to be stern enough to go, hey, cut it out, chop it off live as not having the ability put parameters in place the more serious you are with your obedience the quicker you will be towards victory but maybe it's not sexual sin maybe today it's something else maybe for you it's unforgiveness or it could be gossip maybe it's you have a hatred towards a specific person or people group maybe it's jealousy or greed or envy Maybe it's selfishness. Listen to me, I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that the Holy Spirit's good enough. <laughs> He's good enough to be here right now to grab hold of your hand. And can I just plead with you for just a moment? A lot of times also, whenever we preach sermons like this, there's a part of our brain that instantly kicks into gear and we go, you know who really needs to hear that? <laughs> you know who needs to hear that? You. You know who needs to hear that? Me. This is not time for us to think of somebody else. This is you. This is me. This is the Holy Spirit going, where is your bend towards sin? And what is trying to pull you towards it? And it's time to quit hacking at the branches and it's time to go towards the root. For some of you, that means it's going to be confession and not just confession to God. There needs to be a trusted individual in your life that you can come to and say, hey, this is me. This is the real me. I'm not saying go to just anybody. Hear me out. Your pastor is not like, go, don't come up here and get the microphone and blare it before the church. The Bible does not say to do that. But who in your life can you go to and say, hey, will you walk with me on this journey? Will you help me take out some roots? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards Christ. And allow what's happening at the inner reality to be where you do battle not just in your actions, but at the very core of your heart. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you do a holy work in this place? Can we, you know, can we actually, I'm, I know I made you stand, but I just want to invite you, whether it be your chair, maybe the altar, let's just find a place just for, Grady's going to play just for about a minute or two, and I just want us to do work before God, okay? Find a place where you, you can pray standing up, you can pray at your chair, you can pray at the altar. Grady's just going to play some music behind us, and I just want you to do some heart work. Let's go for some weeds, right? Let's go for some root right now this morning. Would you just, before God, come before him and say, God, will you, will you go to the core of who I am? Let's spend some time in his presence.
Spirit, I pray, would you give us spiritual eyes to see the work of our enemy. Lord, with his distraction, he wants us to look and see pleasure where really there's pain. He wants us to think we're heading towards destiny when we're walking towards destruction. So Father, would you uncover the lie of the enemy towards that bend in that brokenness and in its place, will you put in our spirit of humility to go, God, I need your help. Will you allow me, Holy Spirit, to come to the end of myself? Will you allow me to pursue you? Will you do a work that only you can do, Jesus? God, will you be the king of my heart? Will I put my trust back knowing that all of your commands are for my joy? Lord, I pray that your spirit would rest in this place in mighty power. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Friends, I plead with you. May we be people who go to the root. And realize the unseen. Go to the very depths of our heart with the Holy Spirit and say, God, will you walk with me? Will you empower me? change me. Will you make me more like you? May we be the type of people that do that. I love you. I pray that you have a phenomenal week. I'm excited for this series and what God's continuing to do. Be blessed. Have a very, very great week. Know I love you and I pray you still love your pastor after today. Have a good one.